Pornhub. Pornhub. The Pornhub Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Pornhub Podcast. Today's guest is Bobby Kim, a.k.a. Bobby Hundreds. Bobby is the owner and founder of the mega-huge streetwear brand, The Hundreds. I was actually trying to remember the other day how I met Bobby, um, and I think I narrowed it down to either Van Styles or Dave Cho. But since we've met, we've collaborated on a few things together. Mainly, Bobby produced a show called Hobbies with Asa Akira, where I tried out a bunch of different hobbies like taxidermy and crocheting, and there was even an episode where I tattooed a couple of people. Bobby and I also did a t-shirt together when my first book came out, and I did my first few book readings at some of the hundred stores across the country. Um, Now, Bobby has his own book, and it just released a few weeks ago. It's called This Is Not a T-Shirt, and you should definitely check it out. It's part memoir, part streetwear history, part self-help, part kind of a business for dummies type book. Anyway, here's the interview. Um, I hope you enjoy it. I'm so curious to know how you are going to do this because 40 episodes in. So I'm doing a podcast also mm-hmm. called my book is called This Is Not a T-Shirt. The podcast is called This Is Not a Podcast because I really don't want to do a podcast. Okay. And I've been kind of fending it off forever. Okay. Because I feel like everyone's doing podcasts. And yeah. So I just have to be different. But also, so, like, everyone's doing a podcast, so you kind of have to do a podcast. It's like not having an Instagram I account. No, I'm that guy who joins Instagram in 2018. You know? Yeah. Like, the person, like, the girl who <laughs> joins in, like, 2017, she's like, all right, I'm doing it. And everyone's like, welcome to here. But yeah. then they're so bad at it. And then two years in, okay, this the perfect example of this is my wife. Okay. Okay, she swore it off forever. All social media, she was like... Get off your phone. Exist in the real world. Connect with me. And I was like, I have to do social media for my job. And then all of a sudden, maybe four years ago, she signed on to Instagram and she had a pri- she has a private account and it was just to post photos of our kids. And it was cool. And she would make fun of all the other moms that were running mommy <laughs> yeah. Instagrams. And And she's all in. It took her because it takes everyone about like two to three years, and then they one day you wake up and it's all you do is just Instagram, right? And right. so that's her life now, where she's where we like you and I were in maybe like 2014 or 2012, <laughs> and we're like, oh my god, I can't stop, and we need to take like sabbaticals from Instagram. Right? She's doing that now in 2019. <laughs> it's so obnoxious and crazy. She's, she's in phase one. She's in phase one. Yeah, <laughs> and she's just like, oh, what's the etiquette for this filter? You know, and she's just like, what? It, she's wh- still using like Helvin. Yeah, no, totally. She's like, what about? The-? She's like, did you know you can open up new filters if you click on the dial? And just, I swear to God, like two weeks ago, she said, uh, she shot a video and she said, does this go on stories or on the feed? And how do you weigh that? And I'm like, you can't be figuring that out in 2019. It's also it should be just instinctual at that point. Exactly. I was just gonna say, you. That's not 
that's not something you can teach someone. That's no. It becomes second nature. Yeah, just by virtue of spending your entire life on Instagram <laughs> for ten years. Exactly, waking you, up every morning, watching all the stories. Get yeah. you getting up. There's a judging illegal, other people for posting things in their feed that should have been a story. Exactly, and saying, "Hey, buddy, yeah. come on, come you on." Know, like we all we're all playing by the same <laughs> rules here. There used to be, and there are these rules that are these unwritten rules that nobody talks about but we just know and then i remember an early rule was there was a rule around what when you could post like you had to post something immediately you couldn't post it later you couldn't upload something that came from your desktop Mm -hmm. from a real camera everyone had it had to be um, like it's called instagram that's what everyone said it's right right what you're doing the integrity of it was there was so much integrity the insta yes but now that's snap i feel like not that not that many people are on snap anymore but snap i do only because i don't really use snap for fun anymore Oh. I just like masturbate on Snap and then I sell subscriptions. <laughs> like to me, that's what Snap is for. It's is not that really... what everyone is doing on Snapchat? Because then I'm going back to Snapchat. <laughs> I'm I... <laughs> logging back in. All... Bobby's really active on Snapchat all of a sudden. The only people I know who are on Snapchat are people who subscribe to those channels and also sex workers. Oh, like, okay. I don't so know it really anyone... is. Yeah, like I don't the sex know. Worker, the sex worker's social media. Yeah, I think so. But I, I mean, why? God, because you I can't really post know. that stuff on Instagram. But Snapchat but you can't really it? post it on Snap either. You just make a private account, and then people oh. follow. You can only show your friends. Wait, here's a question: mm-hmm. On a private Instagram account, can you not post sex stuff? So, I don't. I don't know what the logistics are. Right. I don't know what the logistics are, but people do. Like people post whatever they want on a a private private account. Yeah. Because I think the idea is that like if someone is a paying subscriber, they're not going to report you like that doesn't help anyone in that equation. On a private snap, they're yeah. paying to So follow? they pay. So oh, this is how it works. This is they how pay. long I've been. This is Okay, <laughs> now I'm like my wife when it comes to Snapchat. <laughs> I used to be really, I was pretty early on Snapchat, but now I'm. They've changed everything, pay? first of all. But yeah, like, so someone pays a subscription fee and oh. then they subscribe to my, or oh. really what it is, is just they're paying so that I add them to the friends list and I only show my friends. How much do they pay? Um, It's 24 I want to say it's twenty four ninety nine a month. <laughs> I, for I'm not you sure. specifically, or yeah, anyone, it's either for like everyone. Twenty four ninety nine or twenty five ninety nine. Like if I did the same thing. No, no, no. You set your own price. Oh. Yeah. It, it's there's nothing about this that's like regulated. It's it, it's just this is what I'm doing on Snapchat, and oh. this is what a lot of other people I'm I know are doing. Like for example, if you were to make this paid private Snapchat, like I don't know, maybe you could show them like the back back end of things right <laughs> i'm glad you went there instead of the other way around i was like no, <laughs> no one really wants to see me doing that the way they look at you for that no but, but they would come to me for brand advice right that's usually what it is yeah maybe you could charge for that the, but i actually yeah. have a question about that so like you're i think for being such a social and public persona you're actually very private I feel i'm like. extremely private yeah yeah like you don't really talk about your family that much never especially on social media never um is that noticeable it, it is, is it? to me yeah because because you want to know more but you're not alone <laughs> because if you you know how if you do a google search on someone mm-hmm. and 
the first thing it says like net worth. Yeah. I think my first thing it says wife. Mine, I and think, says feet. It, yours is feet. <laughs> but I do you not show your feet enough? No, it's it's. There's no mystery. I think. So you do show your feet. I show my feet all the time. I'm I feel my like feet right now. Oh yeah, I can see your feet. <laughs> yeah, I feel like people are searching for things that they they can't, can't find. find. With me mm. especially. So with it's always uh, wife, and then the next is family or children or something like. Or kids. Like they want to see your kids' faces. Like they just want to see like what my family looks like. Huh. So that's so, weird. Yeah, but I did notice, and yes. I guess others have noticed as well. This has started to come up. But then you wrote a memoir. Yeah. And now you're doing all this press for the memoir. And I mean, a memoir by definition is definitely like the most, you can't put yourself out there more. Right. So like what, were you saving everything for the book? I think there was a point in time where I knew I wanted to write a book. Mm -hmm. And I knew that at some point there was going to have to be a memoir of my life. And I was very comfortable sharing and that it would have to be distinguished from the persona that I had painted online, right? We're always giving people an, an impression or idea of what we want them to see, mm-hmm. right? Our Instagram is what we want people to mm-hmm. see of, of our lives. And I knew that if it came time for me to write a book and I was actually going to publish a real memoir, that I would have to dig a little bit deeper mm-hmm. in order for it to feel really substantial and, and to really have an impact. Right. And so like I you think definitely I can't reserved. read a book of all just the highlights. No, this book is, I've been telling everyone it's not a success story. And Mm -hmm. and that's, I think, maybe the most surprising thing about the book from a layman's perspective. People who know me well kind of expect, kind of knew what they were getting into when they got into it. But from an outsider's perspective, with me, because maybe because of the way way I write, it comes off as being arrogant sometimes. And so a lot of people approach me and they're like, I talk about this in the book, but after they meet me, they'll say, Hey, you know what? It's it it's it was nice to meet you. You're not a dick. I thought you were going to be a total asshole, mm-hmm. right? And so there's that impression around me, and then there's an idea and an abstract of what streetwear is, and being very ego fueled and a bunch of dudes being cool, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's always a little intimidating being around streetwear crowds because mm-hmm. you don't feel like you're cool enough. Mm-hmm. And the idea of me writing book on top of all that everyone expected it to be oh it's just about how cool you are and how big your brand is and then you get into in the first in the prologue people are crying right and the second the first words of the first chapter are a kid talking to me saying fuck you your brand sucks and the rest of the book is just really a bunch of failure stories strung Mm -hmm. together which is really what i feel like it means to be human um so but like why the change i guess like what i was always oh as far as being transparent about family and personal stuff and just yeah and just like taking the approach of being like totally vulnerable yeah and writing all those quote-unquote failure stories yeah i think i just i as i've gotten older i really just don't care (laughs) what anyone thinks and that's not that's not 100 percent true of course i care what I'm going to do my hair, right? Mm-hmm. I still, I'm still vain, and I still am going to shower. Like, I showered before he came because I was like, oh, I was on a flight, and I don't want to be gross in front of Asa, so, like, I'm trying to be presentable. Like, I'm like, you took the time to be considerate. I don't want to be, take the time to be considerate to you. So uh, in, in some ways, of course, I care, but it, when it comes to my work more and more, I just have stopped caring so much to the point where I'm so liberated and I'm approaching everything 
from a point of just having fun and I'm proud of it. Mm -hmm. And it seems to be that th this is a pr an approach that I started delving into in the, over the last three or four years where I just went to the office one day. And th again, this is also addressed in the book, but my wife had this moment where she was maybe sick and we didn't know what was going on. And it was a really scary time in our lives. And thank God she's healthy now. And, and it was it actually didn't turn out to be a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, but in that moment, I ha I was really faced with, you know, you started going through a little bit of um, an awakening. And I was like, what am I doing? What is the purpose? And streetwear, so much of it is just about being cool, even more than making money. It's always more about clout and image and status and not actually taking care of your family or building a longevity or like taking care of your community, stuff like that. And so it got, I, I think I started going through an existential crisis at that time. And that was three or four years ago. And I said, what am I doing? And what matters most? What makes me happiest? The only thing that mattered to me was that I made my wife and my children proud mm -hmm. of me. Mm -hmm. And they just, and what they wanted of me was me to just be happy. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's a very simple formula. I was just like, that's all I really want. If I make a billion dollars, my kids are going to be, oh, cool. Like, stoked but more than anything they just want to spend time with me and they want to be proud of me and they want me to do it in an, in an honorable way with integrity and so I went to the office that next week and I sat with my team and I said hey whatever we're working on right now it has to be of the utmost importance that you feel it is valuable work that you're proud of it that when you leave this office every day you can hold your head up high and say I worked on it whether or not it's cool whether or not it sells We'll figure out a way, you know, we'll figure mm -hmm. out a way to move it. But if you're not proud of doing this, let's not do it. And for the most part, we've tried to hold on to that for the last few years. And before, I think it was so much about, is it cool enough? Mm -hmm. Is it going to be hot enough? Is the, is the, are the blogs going to discuss it? Are the gatekeepers going to give us a thumbs up mm -hmm. because it was, it was cool enough. And when we started taking this path of let's just do whatever we want, if it makes sense with our story, our narrative, if it bolsters our brand and, and we're proud of it and we're happy and we can hold our head up high and more money followed mm -hmm. and we were so much more fulfilled. I started sleeping better at night and now I've gotten to a place of like true Nirvana. I mm -hmm. feel like around the brand where I don't really care what anyone thinks anymore. Yeah. I would imagine like streetwear specifically there is, I mean, I think anything in fashion there's, I'm sure like you want to be relevant. You want to be, you know, cutting edge and the of now course, that's and the point. that's the point but i would imagine streetwear has like that added layer of like oh but you also have to be like cool and not too mainstream and not to this or to that like yeah. there's there's a lot of rules a lot of pressure there's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of expectations and there's a lot of group think yeah right it's everything is group think and crowdsource and as you know whatever certain people saying you are accountable to what p other people want of you which is strange to me because the idea of streetwear is to be individualistic and to kind of defy the expectations and and the standards and, and system that has been has preceded right. you but then you start getting to a space where it really is just about well did that guy say it's okay and right. like i want to do this but what will others think and that happens more often than not anytime you invite someone to come to even a party or dinner well who's going to be there is that is that oh if they're there then I, I don't want to go if yeah. they're there or if they're there then i don't want to go yeah because they're not cool enough and that game has i've never 
been interested is in that, that game, true? and I don't, and I don't know how to play that game. Do you think that's? But is that because you're in LA? I think it's. Or is that also universal? Yeah. In especially in streetwear, it's okay. so much about guys trying to keep up and impress other guys. It's all I wanted guys, to bring that up. It's just, <laughs> yeah, it's all rooted in daddy issues. Okay, we so all you've, have. You've told me that before. Issues, yeah. I remember a long time ago, um, you interviewed me when I did my book, and you told me, I told you that I've found that a lot of male performers in porn have mommy issues. Oh, right, and yes. And you came back with a lot of guys in streetwear have, have daddy, daddy issues. issues. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Yeah, let's talk about that. Because what's the difference in the dynamic? When you say that they have mommy issues, what do you feel that they're lacking and what are they chasing for? In chasing my after? eyes, when I see a male performer, very like obviously I don't want to generalize blah, 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 blah. But right. that aside. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have a like we can run that's a, out of we the need way. to run like a 15 minute disclaimer before <laughs> right. every podcast now and be like oh, we know we know we know yeah, yeah. it's not nice to but, do this but <laughs> in theory in a perfect world but like so what i've noticed is i think a lot of male performers are either it's this weird thing where a lot of them either have kind of a, this pure hatred for women or the desperate desperate Whoa. need for female love right um, so I think Wait, the mommy and this issues can actually maybe happen at the same time. Completely. Too, right? I think so. Um, so that's something I've noticed a lot. And, but in streetwear, yeah. it's the it, opposite. It is. And, and I'm, I think I have a little bit of both, not the hatred of women, but I definitely need female love. I think I just need a lot of love and attention in general. Yeah. I mean, we all do, but even more so because I was a middle child and, I think I oh. was starved for, I felt neglected because my I wasn't the prized firstborn in an Asian immigrant household yeah. and I wasn't the baby. Right. And I was also a bit of a problem. Are child. you all three boys? And we're all three boys. So that's, I'm so into birth order theory. This is a real thing. You're the, you're, yeah, you get to see your it textbook. I'm, a t I'm so textbook middle son, right? Peter Brady, but more like a Jan Brady. Do right? they have normal jobs? Yes, my older, well, get this, my older brother was in med school, he ended up dropping out, now he's a pastor. Okay. Okay. And my parents are really stoked on him. They wanted him to be a doctor, but they're like, well, well yeah. now he's like a Asian. pastor and he's amazing. Yeah. He's a really good guy. And my younger brother was working for Snoop Dogg for a little bit, and now he's a public defender. So he ended up going into law, so he's okay. a lawyer. We all have kind of different jobs, but... But it your classic more, middle child outlier. It was like, more when we were growing up. Mm -hmm. They were really well behaved, obedient. They were Korean parents' dream. My older brother almost got a perfect score on his SAT. I think he missed one. Mm -hmm. And I think I missed four, like four or five questions um, in my freshman year of high school, even before you're supposed to take the SAT. Right. And my parents were like, that's not good enough. Because <gasps> you're... Your brother's in the newspaper because he only missed one. Oh, my God. So that That's kind of. Yeah. And that, I mean, all things considered, <laughs> all the hardships that other people go through. I'm not that. Bad. Oh, my God. But don't you feel like now that you have kids, like, doesn't that stuff make you sadder? Now that I so, have a kid. So much so. Like, yeah. all this stuff, like, when 
if people were mean to me when I was a kid, when it's yourself, you kind of just brush it off. But now that I have a kid, I'm like, oh my God, if anyone ever did that to him. Yeah. Like, it just crushes you. Yeah. Which is weird because my parents saw me go through a lot of difficulties and, <laughs> and challenges and get my ass kicked. And they're like, yeah, you should get your ass kicked. Right. Wait. Like these are just like Asian immigrant parents. They're like, oh, your, your teacher yelled at you today and be like, yeah, it sucked. And they'd be like, wait, come here. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'm a teacher. And then they would smack me. And yeah. like, what did you do wrong? Why did you make her mad? You know? But you did go to law school. I went to law school. And yeah. that's where you met Ben. That's where I met Ben. Yeah, and yeah. That's so in that sense, I was somewhat following what my parents wanted of me. And is that right? why, that's why you went to law school? Or? Partially. Partially also, mainly because at that time, I was freelancing for a lot of magazines. I was writing a lot. Mm-hmm. I've always been writing and um, contributing art and design and uh, 9-11 happened and the media just dried up overnight and I lost a lot of freelance gigs and uh, I spent a year trying to figure it out and bounced between here and Japan I was working for some publications out there and then it got to a point where I was like I'm not good at this I'm not disciplined enough to freelance right it's like it it's an art yeah to freelance I was the guy I was a freelancer that was waking you have up to have the best work ethic the, insane yeah. right you have to no, this was I would two in the afternoon waking up, you yeah. know, just losing sense of order of my day and eating just obscure, just whatever was in the closet. Just right. I turned into a horrible person. Right. And I was like, I need a job. <laughs> like someone needs to just give me a job. And a reason to wake up in the morning. And a reason to wake up. Like <laughs> I need to get get it together here. And I fell apart. Real fast. So that it was just to provide structure. And then also I grew up being really involved and interested in a lot of activism and okay. social justice work. And so I also thought oh, I wanted to sense. get in on the, like, I want to basically fuck shit up from the inside. Mm-hmm. Like I want to you know, subvert the system. And, and if I understand the law and I understand how the, the government works, I felt like I could do that. So that feels like a merge of like all the best. Things. Yeah. It should have worked. So right? what happened? You met Ben and you guys were like, let's yeah. make t-shirts instead. Yeah. And Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the, on the social justice aspect of it, or the activism part, I just really wanted to create change. At that point in my life, my idea of creating change was what you would consider like a social justice warrior to be today. Mm-hmm. It was just uh, being really angry, vocal, just really wanting to break a lot of things, right? I was really infatuated with um, like ARA, which was a precursor to like an Antifa or something like that. I thought my way of seeing change get made was to like literally break shit. Like mm-hmm. I just was angry. No one was listening to me. I want to just fuck everything up. And I'm a little older now. So my ideas have changed a lot and, um, have, have evolved and, and I don't look at, at, at activism the same way anymore. But at that time, that's what I thought I wanted to do and, and how I wanted to go about, um, creating real change mm-hmm. but then in the course of that ben and i we met each other in law school and i thought and were i were you realized like insta bff it almost is a very streetwear story he was wearing some jordans and i was wearing some air force ones and he's just like you know guys are the worst wait hold we're on really that's poor like, communicators if right? someone could write a fan fiction of how you and ben met that's what it how it would start it's exactly <laughs> that and this is in the early 2000s when streetwear and sneaker culture were not mainstream mm-hmm. no one knew what supreme was mm-hmm. nobody was going out there and collecting retro nikes the way that our community was mm-hmm. it was very much a niche subculture we had to travel to japan to japan to shop in certain stores. New York had a couple stores that you would have to dig for shoes and 
Uh, even Nike hadn't caught on at that point. Mm-hmm. They weren't retroing a lot of shoes because they didn't understand the retro market. But so for me to see someone else in my school that was wearing cool shoes, wearing a, he was wearing a lime green Supreme shirt. I think I was wearing an A-Life shirt. Mm-hmm. And for us to, you know, there was a code. Yeah. and It's like if I saw a girl like wearing an anal t-shirt or something yeah yeah like, You're like i can trust you yeah you understand yeah. me you're oh, not gonna you have judge a collar me on? you have a daddy okay yeah like yes exactly <laughs> we're speaking the same language yes yeah so there was a shared language there and then we started talking about the brands that we liked and that's a, that's a really cool thing about streetwear is that it's a it's a really um it's a nice little vehicle for men to be able to talk to each other without mm-hmm. coming off as being gay if they're scared of being considered gay you know mm-hmm. they can like talk about clothes but i don't really care about clothes i just care about sneakers right like That's there's that true. whole thing if you think about it up until that point like up until the early 2000s for in america for straight men to be into their clothes was you were considered as gay or perceived as being effeminate and there was a term for it. There was a there's a pejorative of you're a metrosexual. Do you remember this right, word? Yeah. Metrosexual. Yeah, we have, haven't kid, heard that in a while. Kids today would never know, would never use that. They wouldn't even understand. Understand the concept. The yeah. closest thing would be like fuckboy. I think fuckboy is the is maybe the closest. But still not. Back uh, then it was like, oh, you're metro. You're yeah. into doing your hair, you're metro. You're like, oh, you're into your denim. I, but in a way that's still true. I think like Two men like comparing the fabrics of their shirt, I think would be, I think in a lot of circles might be considered like quote unquote gay, right? but like, like but not streetwear. Streetwear is absolutely like, exactly. without a question, so streetwear, no homo. Yeah. Streetwear gives space for street, straight men to do that if they're worried about right, right, right. being called gay or, or is that guy gay? Right. They can do it in the safe space of, no man, I just into how I look. And it's fucked up. Like, everything I'm talking about is really fucked up. Right, and but it's it doesn't the... make sense. But that's just how it was. And so it opened up this entire lane for young straight guys to be into their uh, what do you clothes think, and like, their looks without feeling like they were being judged. What was the culprit of that, it. do you think? Like, wh- who decided it's okay? Because okay it always started with sneakers. Right. And I think sneakers are not the same as does this shirt make me look fat, right? Sneakers are, like, even when you design them, when I design sneakers, it's a whole different design process. It's like product design. So it's like you're talking about cars or refrigerators, for refrigerators, comic book, comic book, sneakers. Why? Because it doesn't matter how it looks on the body? You mean? Yeah, it's or? not, exactly. It's not, does this make me look hot or sexy or cute? Mm-hmm. Do I look more handsome? Like a this? shoe is a shoe is right. a shoe. Like, does this go with my eyes? It's just, dude, that shoe's cool. It's like a transformer. I grew mm-hmm. up with transformers. Right, I I remember that movie like I want that it's like that's the right fashion interpretation of it right so so it's an article of clothing that's almost like not vain yeah right it's almost like a pop culture reference right because it's not actually a part of your look yeah because if like you think about its it, own entity most guys most guys now are into sneakers most mm-hmm. guys don't know how to dress very well and mm-hmm. they don't really care how they dress. Mm-hmm. They'll wear like a J. Crew shirt and like H and M pants or something that their girlfriend or, or wife bought them. And then, but with their shoes, they'll splurge. Mm-hmm. Oh, I had these when I was in the seventh grade, the Concord Elevens. Like this was my favorite Jordan. Or oh, I had these Dunks and I want to buy these Dunks. And they'll spend because they feel like 
they feel good wearing it. Right. But then it doesn't say anything about them aesthetically. It's more for male validation points. Right. I don't think girls care as much. Which brings us back to the daddy issues thing. Yeah. And you say in streetwear men are looking for yeah male validation male validation and i think that is changing with each generation Mm -hmm. but i know that my generation especially we had a lot of that when you looked at the streetwear early streetwear parties and gatherings it was always a known thing you would show up there was not going to be girls there Mm -hmm. it was going to be the same guys Mm -hmm. not really knowing how to communicate with each other Mm -hmm. same thing that ben and i had of i like your shoes man i like your shoes too too want to roll up this blunt you know like that's how guys bond right and it's it's been like that for generations my dad's generation like chris rock has that joke mm-hmm. about you know like he goes with his wife to a party and the dads are all in one room going i like baseball do you like baseball and like we they would talk about sports <laughs> right like bar that's why guys like getting together at, at, like guys like getting together at, like bars or like sports stadiums because you can you look straight you don't have to look at each other right and you can talk you can be intimate and be vulnerable and talk about life without having to stare into someone's eyes. Right. Because we've never really been taught how to connect with other men on that level. Did you read that, like, um, that thing that went viral a few years ago about male loneliness? Mm-mm. It was this, it wasn't, it was like, kind of like an op-ed type thing, but someone wrote, uh, I think it was called, like, the number one silent killer of men isn't heart disease, it's male loneliness. And it's basically about the fact that you know, as as we get older and we get married and have children, it's hard. It's harder for men to keep friendships because when life gets busy, women are able to stay in touch with our friends and maintain a friendship just by talking on the phone and gossiping, talking about our feelings, about our relationship. We're afforded the luxury of like talking about everything to each other. Right. right. Whereas men are raised a little bit differently. And you guys tend to need a common activity to bond you so that you can talk about that third thing rather than talk about yourselves because you don't want it to get so vulnerable so personal it's too close and and in order for that you need to have actual time to spend together you need to go to that baseball game you need to play golf you need to you know whatever it is and life just doesn't like give the time for that once you are married with kids and have all this other shit going on so men are very lonely now and men have no friends I think that's been true for generations. I'm even thinking as you're bringing that up with my dad and my dad didn't have a lot of male friends. My dad from, has no friends. Right? Yeah. Most most of our dads didn't. They were all Kevin's dad from the Wonder Years. <laughs> like that was my dad, you know, just grunting at the newspaper, coming home, cracking open a beer and just turning yeah. on Peter Jennings on the news and didn't want to connect with us emotionally. No. At all. Had no friends. And he... He he actually sat us down one night. We were eating dinner and, you know, the dad's lecture. And he had a whole lecture about how friends are unimportant. Mm-hmm. Don't waste your time on friends. Friends are a waste of time. And, uh, and I always took that. And I always thought that was really strange. And I feel like so much of my life's work has been a response to that because I'm all about building community and right. trying to engage. But I'm also very poor at holding friendships. Mm-hmm. I don't have any or many Mm-hmm. close guy friends mm-hmm. most of my we're having a dinner tomorrow night for my book right you'll see most of the people there are gonna be women i just get along better with women because i feel like i can 
emote and I feel like I could emotionally that's, connect. Quote unquote allowed. That's okay. Right. And I'm a very I'm very sensitive and emotional and I can be very transparent. But I can do and I, and I feel that urge to be that all the time. Mm-hmm. But when I do it with men, it doesn't give me the same effect. I'm not right. getting the same result. And so I've been have I've always and my wife's just always like rolled her eyeballs. Even when she was dating me, she's like, I know this is what I'm signing up for. I'm like, I'm only friends with beautiful, strong, independent, powerful, amazing, incredible women. You know? Oh, that would be I'd be like, OK, bye. Yeah. But she's also the most secure woman I've ever known. You know, I'm like, you'd have to be. Oh, I'm recording Asa's podcast in my hotel in <laughs> yeah. New York at night, and we're having dinner together. And she's like, oh, have fun. <laughs> whatever. Go do it. You know, she's also like, what are you going to do? You're a pussy. And I'm like, I know. I'm weak. Um, but yeah, so, anyways, but uh, Streetwear has, in that sense, has, has provided a venue, I think, for guys to be able to get together, be interested in something, maybe this that commonality of right. a third. Um, interest that we can talk about without actually having to connect but especially teenage boys and you talk in your book a lot about how like the whole point of the hundreds for you is more about building community 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 you say that a lot yeah so was fashion always gonna be like the medium no I think that just happened by by way of I'm an artist I didn't know how to my how to get my art seen I didn't know how to enter the gallery space. I didn't know the right people. I, I still, so you're wearing a graphic t-shirt. I'm wearing a graphic t-shirt. So whoever made this art, I think our, our graphic designer, Eddie, made it. So, you know, he had something to say. He makes this art. What's the best way to get the art seen today? Put it on a t-shirt. And you have walking, <clears throat> you have these walking billboards and Human people billboards. advertising it around, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's, uh, the brand started from that vantage point. I wanted, again, to fashion design, but in full transparency and disclosure, like I'm not a fashion designer. I actually have relatively very little interest in the higher class of fashion or, or, or what runway fashion is now. And, and, and streetwear has this like very interesting and dynamic marriage right now with, mm-hmm. with uh, high fashion and the runway. It's never really been my game. I've always come from a place of graphic t-shirts because that's a strong way to, to convey a message to, provoke a conversation mm-hmm. and then we've built the collection around that and a lot of the clothes we make are just they're actually message driven there's a there's a reason why we do a lot of work wears because it's proletariat it's very ground ground just it's very rooted mm-hmm. and i think it's very sensible clothing and so that was a clothes that i grew up on i shopped at the swap meet i wore dickies i wore carhartt you know i wore converse chucks i didn't wear my parents never spent over a hundred dollars on any article of clothing mm-hmm. i wore and so all you were a skater kid, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, like, did you do, like, a lot of drugs and stuff? Were you that kind of skater? Or? There was drugs involved, but I wouldn't say a ton of drugs, mm-hmm. but there was definitely and drugs. And you grew up in yeah. L.A.? I grew up in Riverside. Yeah. Yeah. So, I grew up in, if, for those people who don't know where Riverside, Riverside is, it's, it's an hour to an hour, an hour and a half east of L.A. on the way into the desert. It's brown town. It's brown people. It's brown air. It's dirt. Okay. Uh, is it like a meth type place? Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, it's considered a meth capital of the world. Oh. In the 90s it was because of the way that the uh, interchanges uh, aligned. There's the 15 
the 10 to 60 oh. and everything converged it was just a prime channel for like, drugs to be geographically through. and also it was all open desert landscapes for you to build meth labs mm-hmm. and so in all of riverside county by the time i was in seventh grade there were no lockers they stripped all the schools, middle schools and high schools of lockers. We didn't have lockers growing up. Wait, wait. Because all the kids were storing drugs. There were oh so many drugs God. in our town. We had drug dogs every fourth period. Our teachers. Every day? Every day. There was a drug dog sniffing and I got popped a few times. Everyone did. You would just forget because you're also 13 years old, 14 yeah. years old, just carrying weed. And like, oh my God, I have a bong in my backpack. I don't know how many times I've flown with weed. Like, just. Yeah. Because I didn't remember that. Oh, yeah. And you're <laughs> of age now where you're a responsible adult. This is <laughs> yeah. when you're 13 and drugs are just being handed to you from everywhere. You know, you'd be passing in, in a passing period and kids would be handing right. off drugs to you. But there were cons- drug dogs. The teachers half the time were narcs. You know, you would have teachers who didn't know anything about chemistry. And then you'd realize they're actually a police officer there to monitor if the kids are doing drugs. Oh there was a lot God. of drug use in the town. Yeah. That's crazy. You you wrote this blog a while ago um and it was kind of like an ode to skateboarding. Yeah. Um I think you called it like a love letter or something or like yeah, an ode it's, to skateboarding. In theory it would be the first blog post ever actually. Oh, it was? On the hundreds.com. Okay. I think if you go to the very beginning that's the first post. But you yeah. talk about how like when you're a skater, you're automatically seen like the adults see you as you're a bad kid. Right. Um, even within, you know, your age group, you're not like a quote unquote, like popular kid. You're, you're an outlier automatically. Yeah. Yeah. So like your fringe. So in a town like that, like you must be like on the fringiest fringe. Yeah, you were, especially in the nineties in the early and mid nineties skateboarding was so alt and so fringe. And, I think uh, in the 80s, skateboarding had this incredible rise with Tony Hawk mm-hmm. and the Bones Brigade and MTV. And then in the early 90s, a lot of the industry splintered apart. And so there actually just weren't a lot of companies making skate clothes. And the the style of skateboarding changed from ramps and so like transition skating to Wait, street on. skating. Are, are, is, are skaters and like – is the skating world and the street wear world like those are – well, now they're Pretty very much. interconnected. Now were they're they very not? interrelated. Well, so then we're getting into definition and trying to categorize what the street world is. Okay. Yeah, like, it was your... all part of street culture. But the idea of streetwear, I mean, even the term streetwear wasn't commercially thrown around until the mid to late 2000s. But the idea of streetwear has been there for generations. Mm-hmm. I, like, I don't even know where... I, I in one of my chapters I say if to tell the streetwear story you always begin in the middle because if we say it started with Sean Stussy in 1980 then we have to point to the surf designers that he was inspired by and the Dogtown Z Boys kids and right. Craig Stesic and there's and no ground zero there's no ground zero because it just keeps going back all the way to the Zoot Suits in L A to um, street gangs in New York mm-hmm. and then we're getting into just different types of code of youth dress and what it meant what teenage subculture is in general so I don't know where to begin but as yeah. far as the streetwear that we understand today it really didn't crystallize until the early 2000s I would say like late 90s oh, early 2000s and we came around in 2003 some think that our generation was the first to really put it together but what it, what it really was, was we're, we were the first generation to turn it more or less into a marketplace and an industry. And then 
So make it more mainstream. It together, make it more mainstream. Open I up to wholesale. Ask that. Like, cause open I, up online. I do hear about like. I knew a lot of like skaters growing. First of all, I was obsessed with skaters growing up. I'm sure you were. And I think, I don't know why. why. Have I you ever know. psychoanalyzed why that is? I try is? to. Yeah. Because let me tell you, like skaters don't care about girls. Right. You don't. No. And not in like a, like, oh, we like boys way. Like it's more just like, you just don't give a shit about us. All you want to do is skate. I don't, don't know give a shit about many, anything. Anything. Yeah. I don't know how many hours I've spent at the skate park. Just like Trying waiting for someone's. a boy yeah. or like usually one boy that I went there for and just like hoping that at the end of this five hour session, he'll ask me to go hang out. <laughs> yeah. You want me to tell you what that looks like from our perspective? Okay. <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, no, nothing me, bad against you or the girls. Nothing bad against you. Okay. This is what it looks like from the guy's perspective. Okay. And coming from a generation of skateboarders that all had daddy issues. I, just our entire generation of men had daddy issues because we all grew up like from some type of war. Right. And with also had Kevin a horrible relationship. from Wonder Years Dad. Exactly. So yeah. we all grew up with the same dad. So we all gravitated towards each other. And we would go to the skate park and we would see once in a while a cute girl sitting there. And we all wanted to find an inroads into talking yeah. to you and understanding how dating worked. But we were more scared of maybe breaking some type of rule or code with the other guys because again we are there to feel validated by other men before mm. we're there to try to get the ultimate bros before hoes it's it's by exactly that that's the best way to put it it's it's it, exactly it's what are you mm. doing talking to that girl oh you like girls yeah it's that yeah like you what like are you girls? the guy that brings your girlfriend to the yeah. bachelor party exactly and the guy who would do that the guy who would chase after the girl would be ostracized immediately mm-hmm. because oh he's like, oh yeah fuck him he's like dating because you were secretly jealous because you're like how did how did he do that <laughs> how do you talk to a girl how do I talk to anyone this is this goes into an, another conversation entirely that I've been having a lot about I think a greater problem in the world now and, and we're seeing the results of it is um, people don't know how to talk to each other but really men just don't know how to communicate well like I think if we somehow can teach boys and men how to communicate better mm-hmm. or even if we're biologically wired to be poor communicators because i have two boys they're extremely poor communicators i feel like i'm very communicative i'm not right like mm-hmm. in a book sense in a writing sense mm-hmm, i am mm-hmm, and people mm-hmm. are like oh face to face good speak you can speak and but if you're driving in a car i was driving my kids around basketball practices all weekend right 45 minutes in the car hour and a half in the car like not a word what and i'm like i don't even know what to say to my boys right now i'm like so uh <laughs> how's it going uh good wait but do you yeah. think do you think men or like men boys are better communicators than ever now because they're kind of allowed so. to be a little bit more emotional or are they worse than ever because now we are just on social media and we are like on you know apps like tinder and we don't really have to talk face to face as much Oh, maybe it's a little bit of both. I don't. Or are we I, exactly I, well, you where know we started? What? Maybe, to yeah, maybe we're neutralized. But I wouldn't say that we're necessarily any better. I like to think that I'm better, for example, but I'm really not. I took stock of that this weekend, and I was like, I have no idea what to say. And I find myself in conversations or in private moments with other men all the time, where we're just sitting there. And, you so know, you think it's a biological I thing? I, it might be a biological thing. I will say I I interned when I was in high school. I went to this high school where like we didn't take classes. We just did internships. And for one semester, I interned at a kindergarten. 
yeah. as like a teacher's assistant and the girls were full on gossip this is like five six year olds right the girls were gossiping saying i can't wait to be a teenager like just talking about each other saying just talking 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 the boys were all playing by themselves if anything side by side with another boy yes they could hardly express that they were like hungry yeah. like honestly oh yeah my and kids don't know how to do that either. Apparently, that's normal. It's totally. I, I just come to expect that from. So our it boys, must yeah. be some nature. It has. I think so. I mean, my kids have been like this forever. Right. As, as early as I can remember, I would be like, they don't talk to me. I come home. Hey, how's your day? Good. And <laughs> when and, I and I sell and scene and scene <laughs> and I sell to mainly teenage boys, and the one the if you look at my Instagram comments, it's mainly teenage boys and just see how they address me. Even when I open up the book and I'm talking with one of my followers and one of my customers or a kid who had tweeted something at me. And the first thing he says is fuck you. And a lot, everyone else sees that and it's like, Whoa, that's insane. That why is there so much hate? And I'm like, it's okay. They don't know how to connect to me. So they have to come from a that's tough how. place because it's defensive. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as I break through that, I'm always just like, yeah, I know. Fuck me, right? Like, I kind of suck. Right. right. Like, yeah, I know my brand's not the best. Like, that's so the language that, like, boys are allowed. Exactly. It's just, like, punching each other. Like, right. Like, let's fight, and then we'll become friends. Right, right, right. And that's how I've built relationships with a lot of our customers is by honestly taking them. Even if it comes out, sometimes I'll post something political, and, you know, a white supremacist kid might come mm -hmm. in, or someone who's just feeling really angry and will say something crazy, like, yeah, that's why Trump's going to win again. Fuck you, and this and that. And I'm like, okay. So I go in the DMs, and I'm like, hey, what's going on? And they're like, oh, I'm tired of all this shit you're spewing, and you don't know, you're watching the wrong media, and, you know, you're, you're just as bad. And I'm like, totally understand. Let's talk. And I only have to talk for maybe five to ten minutes with these people, before we get to a really, for the most, 80% of the time, we get to a really level and actually like pretty wonderful place of conversation mm -hmm. where I'm like, where are you from? Like, oh, I'm from Kentucky. Like my dad lost his job. I'm worried, blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. And I'm like, dude, that's a real thing. Mm -hmm. Like we got to figure this out. You Empathy know? is everything. Yeah. And I, I think they, for so many young situations, men, they just don't know be. how to empathize. Yeah. And so if we take the time to listen and listen empathize. and just let them vent, it's okay. I'm okay. Like if, there's some days where I don't want to hear it, mm -hmm. but for the most part, I'll absorb it mm -hmm. if it'll get you to a higher place. Do you think that like the kid that buys your customer now, is that the kid that you were back then? Oh, hundred percent. I was so angry. I'm still a really angry person. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a physically abusive home. Mm -hmm. We were talking about earlier. And, uh, I also just don't know how to connect well with other men. Mm -hmm. I always felt marginalized and fringe, right? Is, um, I'm a Brown person. I'm an Asian American grew up in a town and in a time of America where there's just were not a lot of Asian Americans. Mm -hmm. So, um, that, that was one strike against me. I was weird. I was into weird music, right? I was attracted to hardcore music and mm -hmm. I grew up in the hardcore scene. I was attracted to skateboarding when that was very much a fringe activity. Mm -hmm. Everything I was into was not cool. And everything that was cool, I wasn't good at, you know, why, why, <laughs> so, why do you think, why do you think you were attracted to all these like, on the fringe type thing because i'm the same way like yeah. to me if something is too mainstream i'm automatically a little bit like yeah oh, that's not for me yeah like that's i'd rather flag. do like i'm gonna go do porn <laughs> yeah yeah we like, you couldn't have been more hating con on? you couldn't be more contrarian in that sense yeah yeah so i think I, I don't know like why do you feel like you ended up being that way i don't know like that's why i'm asking you 
I, but I've always been that way. Like I, I always. You worry not, if everyone's going a certain direction, you start worrying, right? You want to know how fucked up this, this gets, hmm. right? I'm I'm a liberal. Mm-hmm. Like if you're listening to this podcast, you're understanding like where my politics lean. Like I lean left, mm-hmm. but now it's so popular and trendy <laughs> to be liberal and left that I have to question it constantly. Which I actually think is a good thing. Like we should be constantly no, always challenging, yeah, for sure, challenging our notions and our ideas of what truths are. But now I'm getting to a place where I'm like, well, I don't know, I don't know. Is Trump? Is Trump? No, no. I mean, Trump's pretty bad. But like, you know, you know what I mean? It's right. Like I'm constantly going against myself, which has defined who I am and the brand I created. Well, yeah, that even goes with you say like you were what would have been considered a social justice warrior then, but now, yeah. now because it was so fringe. This is what people now, have to understand. If you're not a social justice warrior, you're an asshole. Exactly. Right? So and so now you'll be shamed for not agreeing to what the entire group think is of the left. Right. Right. Like any type you of group not, think, I guess. Right. Like uh, on. And I don't know when this episode is going to air, but the Scarlett Johansson con- controversy is circulating in pop culture news today. It's a very unimportant story. It's completely impertinent to anyone's reality right now, but it's <laughs> floating around in entertainment because she wants. She wanted to play a trans, I think, a transitioning character, and she thinks that I should be able to play anyone. Right? I think what she said was like, "I'm an actress. That's what I do is act. Yeah, I should be able to play anyone." Actors are the whole goal of acting is we're playing make believe, mm-hmm. which um, you know, it's it's. I think there's actually a validity to that statement, right? Like, I just don't know if it's the right time and place in the context of the conversation. That's, that's a hard on one right now because I know what you're saying and. I it could be argued either way. No, totally. Yeah. I think actors the whole point of acting is to make believe, right? Like mm-hmm. I want to see men playing women. I want to see me- women playing men. Right. What Like it's actually not impressive to watch Robert De Niro play an Italian American. Totally not. Like just We don't want we don't want it to get so authentic to where everyone's playing themselves. Right. That's one of the worst things is when you watch a TV show or a movie and you're saying that guy or girl is just playing themselves. Mm-hmm. Right? Adam Sandler every movie I'm like that's right. just Adam Sandler at this point, you know? Like, he had one weird movie, like Punch Drunk Love, where I'm like, oh, he had a little bit of range there. No, but he was still, like... Uh... He was still, like, mopey Adam Sandler. But it's like, that's Adam Sandler. You know, he like, just, like, yeah. wasn't playing a five-year-old. Yeah, like, all. Jennifer Aniston had, like, one sad, like, emo movie where she was, like, a grocer checkout girl. Yeah. And you're like, oh, there's a little bit of range, but for Do the most part, she's... Do you think she thought that was her Oscar moment? Probably. Well, I'm sure <laughs> like, everyone I'm told her I'm going to put on this that. mousy brown yeah. wig. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Every, and the, people will think the I'm the two real times actress. where she had to play like a homely character in Office Space. She plays the who looks like that at, at Fridays. By the way, I've never. She's gorgeous. You know, she's like a really attractive woman. I'm like, I've never seen anyone at. You want to know the guy who's serving me at Fridays? You want to know what he looks like? You know, he's like 13 years old and he's like 300 pounds, like acne. He's like dealing with like adolescence. You know. Yeah. And in that I'm awkward like, phase, there's just like, yeah, I've never seen. Anything. Yeah. So that's that's talk about playing make believe. But I think the conversation of Scarlett and everything she's saying is actually coming from a very the 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 point she's making is a valid point. Mm-hmm. But the problem with that in today's context, and I'm not necessarily saying what is right or wrong, because I think we're all still trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. But it's in the room that we are now in mm-hmm. is are you now taking into account all these external factors that many people are arguing should right. be considered 
and um, people who are more tradi- traditionalist and are used to how things were mm-hmm. and have been up until also, this point. Also, purely from the actor's yeah. point of view, sure, you're right. Yeah. But it's like you said, there's all these other factors to consider. And it, right. it it's a losing battle for her. Like, she should ju- she should have just shut the fuck up, honestly. Yeah, that's... It's that's, a losing battle. That's the biggest mistake is yeah. you have to get to a place where you just shut the fuck up. Yeah. A lot of my friends who are women and who are very active, like politically active, maybe sexually active too, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. Um, But no, uh, just women in general have been, you know, why didn't she speak up more about Me Too? Why didn't she speak speak up more about women's rights? You talk about race or you talk about, um, I don't really talk about climbing too much, but it's really because I'm, I don't know what to say. Yeah. Like I don't have anything to say on the matter because I'm here to listen, you Mm -hmm. know, I'm learning and, I'm not going to go out there and publish something that mm-hmm. I stand by as this is my flag and this is the sword I'm going to, this is the hill I'm going to die on because I just don't know. And I feel like everything is so in flux mm-hmm. that something you take as truth today mm-hmm. can change so quickly. So quickly. Right. That That's the thing about, I think being any kind of public persona or maybe it's anyone now that there's social media and everyone's a public persona, but like there are many things I've said publicly that I'm super ashamed and embarrassed about. And that's the light of today in the light of today. And it's because, yeah, yeah, like in in the light of today and also like I've grown up, I've matured, you know, on a social platform, I guess. And like, I just, to have said a lot of things, I'm like, Ooh, that's, I would never say that today. Like that's so ignorant yeah. and coming from like such a oh totally non-educated place, right? Yeah. yeah. So I but think that's a little. It's I think that's good that you recognize that, mm-hmm. but I think it's also a little bit unfair sometimes because mm-hmm. it really has to do with context. And I never thought in my lifetime we would get to a place where we are now, which is it has a lot of good and bad mm-hmm. in terms of more better representation for let's say Asian Americans in Hollywood. That's great. You know, like that's happening and I'm, I'm feeling more seen and connected on the screen. I just saw Aquafina's movie and, mm-hmm. and it's really beautiful to see that and be like, Oh, I, I've been to that part of China. Like I, I know what that's like. Um, but then everything has just happened. So I don't really know where I was going with that, but I just think everything really has happened so quickly mm-hmm. that the worst thing the internet did was it removed context from everything, mm-hmm. right? Everything is in sound bites, excerpts, pulled apart from the human saying it in a in the confines of a conversation, right? That's the worst thing that the internet did is that it took that and then published it to millions of people, mm-hmm. and no one has been in the room with you and I, mm-hmm. right? At some there's there are things that have been said in in this conversation that can and might if they pulled just the soundbite and could just could decimate us Mm -hmm. right because of the mob mentality Mm -hmm. um that's that i feel like that's the worst part of everything but i think the only antidote to that and in this case when we're talking about scarlett johansson the only antidote to that is to be humbled to acknowledge like all right i fucked up and i'm Mm -hmm. sorry i've learned i'll change and i think that's the only thing that I think could assuage the masses at that point. And like when you say that, it makes me realize like maybe there was a lot more context there. Like when right. she said that, yeah, you know, maybe that was she, part of a much bigger conversation. She tried to say that today, mm-hmm. I think, or yesterday. Okay. She came back and she said, hey, it was taken out of context. But 
the problem with her is that she's done this multiple times right. now. Yeah. And it's just like, just don't say anything. Yeah. Like, don't go to the press or like don't go already, to the internet. Like, she already, yeah, with the ghost in a shell. And yeah, she's, just like, she's already that gonna, person. There's this, there's that quote. It was, um, it was a tweet or something a few years ago that said, if you're, if you're 40 and white and male, if you're over 40 and white and male, you're wrong. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, how fucked up is that? Yeah. But, like, that's the point where we are now yeah. where, a lot of like 40 year old white men are just like, there's nothing I can do. And I'm, yeah. and that's because we're reverbing off of generations of people feeling angry. Right. And in the matter of two to four years, mm-hmm. it's time for revenge. Yeah. Which I don't think is a good thing at all. I, yeah. I love change. I'm, I'm a proponent for huge cultural shifts, but when it comes from a place of revenge Mm -hmm. i know many people believe that that's the right way to do it and i was one of those people at a a point in my life where if something came out of vengeance Mm -hmm. and we still got our way that that was effective but i don't think that's a sustainable and actually healthy way for the ecosystem i mean even like i think even like I don't want to say anything. Like, again, I'm like, I don't want to say anything I that'll know. get me in trouble. Why don't we but use like... metaphors? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, look how ugly that glass is. <laughs> this is the grossest table. So I don't want table... this table in my country. <laughs> <laughs> this table is taking the place of another table that was just as good, but, oh, we had to get a Swedish table. <laughs> Everyone's like, this sounds racist, this sounds but racist it's about way. furniture. <laughs> No, what I was going to say is, like, I think, do you think the dust will settle, though? Because I, I, I definitely also understand that it's taking that extreme because, like you said, there's, like, all these generations of pent-up anger, yeah. and it is revenge now. And, yeah, it is coming, like, full force and yeah. within a very short amount of time. But do you think the dust will settle? And then we'll finally, like, maybe 10 years, not even 10 years, in a few years from now, we'll be in a place where, like, Everyone's well, copacetic and peaceful. Yeah. I I don't... I, no. Probably not. <laughs> People will always be angry because also sometimes their anger stems from other places, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of my anger just comes from I didn't feel loved enough. That mm-hmm. has nothing to do with white people, has nothing to do with class difference. It has to do with um, I didn't get hugged enough. And My so husband and I do out. couples therapy. Yeah. And literally every single session we end the same way, which is that like, oh, I felt rejected. Well, you feeling rejected made you act towards me in a way that made me feel rejected. It's literally like yeah. it's ridiculous. But and, and all the world's problems are like. Right. And some that. some people are feeling uncomfortable. Maybe they feel uncomfortable in their bodies or they're um, they're just I don't know, whatever it is, but they will take that out on hey, look, there's a brown person over there. Mm-hmm. Like fuck that. and it has nothing to do with anything else we've talked about outside mm-hmm. of the fact that they just are an irritable person, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, Some mm-hmm. people are really just gen- genetically hardwired to be irascible and difficult mm-hmm. right it's old people are like that like mm-hmm. their brains are physically shrinking like they're uncomfortable in their bodies mm-hmm. they have very short patience for things and they can be angrier and crankier people mm-hmm. and so that's why young people are open-minded and are like yeah gender neutral bathrooms who gives a fuck like <laughs> let everyone marry each other let's all have sex and then when you're 80 years old you're like get off my lawn <laughs> yeah. you know like everything sucks like what you know so how do you con- that's always going to exist i think there's always yeah. going to be people that are annoyed and angry about something going on but right. i think as far as 
this season of how people are dealing with a lot of this generational generations deep resentment and anger i think we're gonna have to get to a place where we realize we're not being effective and i think a lot of people are realizing that this year i think in the last six to eight months i've seen a lot less of an reactionary type of mm-hmm. backlash online against something that Trump says, right? Even Trump's numbers on Twitter are going down. There's less likes, less engagement. Cause I think people are just like, yeah, what are we going to do? We're going to retweet it and like either defend it or encourage it or, and then we got, and nothing happened. Nothing got resolved. Mm-hmm. We didn't get better as a people or as a country. We're more polarized. Mm-hmm. I'm, I hate my uncle more than ever now. Mm-hmm. It, it didn't work for me mm-hmm. to just be reactionary. So um, we're also in a week where he said something that I consider to be racist, right, against um, Ocasio and, and and a few of the other members of Congress, right? And so he, he says this statement. And I think if it hap- had happened two years ago when he got in office and he'd said, hey, go back to your country to these four brown women – it would have been like everyone said, would have been. Wait, what? Did, he yeah. told these women, "Go back to your country if you don't like it here." And they're all three of them were born here, and one of them was born, I think, somewhere not in the mainland states, but somewhere that's considered part of the states. Mm-hmm. And so he said, he literally on Twitter said, "If you don't like this, if you don't like how things work here, go back to your countries." And everyone's like. Yeah, that's uh, pretty racist. Like, yeah, you can't like, really defend that one, you know? It's like literally the least American thing you could say. <laughs> totally. Right. And so he's he said, if, if this, I'm just saying that if this had happened two years ago, it w- would have dominated the news cycle for a week. Mm-hmm. We would have probably all been out in the streets with pitchforks and doing another women's march or another type of march mm-hmm. as a protest. Mm-hmm. But it came and went in the news. Because now it's like... There goes Trump. Yeah, it's just it's Being normalized, which again. is something we didn't want, but it got mm-hmm. normalized. And also, I think we realized, oh, we can spit all this vitriol and and blast him on on social media and complain, complain, complain. We we've done that, and mm-hmm. it didn't really help. So, what's the answer? I think what my answer is mm-hmm. is just talking to as many people as possible one on one, like I'm doing with you, mm-hmm. right? Like what I do with my DMs. Mm-hmm. Anyone who disagrees with me. More or less. Did you hear that radio? I know you're a Radio Lab fan. Did you hear that Radio Lab episode where they talked about how they, um, they, uh, I forget. I'm gonna. I'm totally. Just like whenever I talk about any podcast, I have like three facts in my memory, and like they're very vague. <laughs> and it starts bleeding into other podcasts. Yeah, I'm like it was either on This American Life or Radio Lab, yeah. and, and oh also wait, now, like stabbing. Dirty John in the eye. Anyway, it's a fact. (laughs) But they were talking about how really the only way you can ever change anyone's mind is by talking to someone one-on-one. So like during the polls and stuff. I actually haven't listened to this podcast, but I subscribe to this just out of my own empirical evidence. Yeah, and they were saying like the only way to get like let's say an anti-gay person on the gay agenda is for them to actually speak to a gay person, make a connection. Totally. Mind changed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of podcasts, there was a podcast called S Town. You remember that one? Love S Town. Okay. With yeah. John, yeah. John S or whatever. Yeah. Um, John. I don't remember. It was a lot. <laughs> just, I don't remember. Yeah. We're, like, yeah. Oh. All the granular details are not as important as he pierced his nipples a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was addicted to getting tattooed yeah. by his 
kind of boyfriend. No. During that, I was obsessed with this podcast. Yeah. And, and how awesome podcasts are like relationships. Like you get so obsessed, and it's your whole world. And then when you're out of it, you're like, how was I ever so into that? Yeah. Remember like, that when you did an entire you. show about cereal? Yeah. And I couldn't <laughs> tell you outside of Sarah Koenig. I didn't Adnan. I don't know Who? any other character. Who? I still don't know. Like I don't know where I stand on that anymore. There was a time where I had a real clear. Adnan is innocent or guilty, and I honestly don't know where I stand on the issue. You know you what? Me. That's so interesting that you say that. I I How used to be pretty hardcore. For, for Adnan, right? Because <laughs> like, he's just like, oh, now's the time. Everyone's empathizing yeah. We're like, me. oh, sorry, we don't care about and you then anymore. By September, everyone's just like, oh, dude, you're still in jail. What are you doing in there? Come on. Wait, can I tell you a funny story about when Serial was on? Um, they, you know, they reference the Best Buy parking lot a lot. Yes. And I, while I was, while cereal was on, I went to Best Buy and I actually had to get something at Best Buy and there was a line outside and I was like, oh my God, is this whole thing an ad for Best Buy? And I asked someone in line, I was like, are you guys here because of the podcast? And they were like, no, <laughs> they were like, no, um, we're here for the Black Friday sale. They had just lined up like three days in advance or something. and So it didn't have anything to do with the podcast. It had nothing to do with the podcast. And I was like, oh. But but then it made me think like, wow, that would be a really good way to advertise. It would be I to mean, travel back in time to the 90s and kill a Korean girl in the parking lot yeah. of your store. Yeah. It would be the best way to advertise. Because later people will look back on it with under warm light and circumstances and say, wow. <laughs> I really feel like shopping at Best Buy and getting a DVD player. <laughs> Wait, but what were you saying about S-Town? Oh, so when S-Town was really popular. So um, for those who have not, for the three of you who are listening to this podcast and didn't listen to that podcast, um, it takes place somewhere in the South. Mm -hmm. Also, I'm forgetting granular details. And um, It was it, in Shit Town. Shit Town. That's why it's called S-Town. Was it Missouri? Something like that. Arkansas? Yeah. It, was, it, was, it was the South. Midwest, Rust Belt, yeah. somewhere. And... Uh, and there was a there was a garden. Do you remember the garden that there was a house with a garden, like a maze in the garden? Anyways, it circulates around his house. The ne next door neighbor was one of my fans and followers. And so as I was talking about the podcast, he started DMing me and he was just like, hey, man, if you ever want to come down and go through the maze. <laughs> also, just also just fell over and died. She, she jumped through the window. This is leaped off. This the is the hundreds podcast. Yeah. Now. Um. So he said, "If you ever want to come down and do the maze with me," and I said, "Bullshit." And he's just like, "Hold on." And ten minutes later, he's standing in the maze. And he took a selfie. And he's like, "Hey, look, it's me in the maze." Okay. So if you listen to that, to that podcast, you remember no one's allowed in that maze. So only the there there's a new resident of the house. There's a new family, and they have blocked it off. So press, no one can even look at it. And he's just like, I'm the one kid that's allowed to because I grew up with his family. And there was another family in the podcast called the KKK family. Mm -hmm. Do you remember? Yeah. They ran the cake. It was like Kingsman something mm -hmm, something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The, the brothers. The brothers, yeah. right? And he's just like, dude, those are my best friends. I took the daughter to prom and I said, oh, is it true that the KKK actually stands for because they're Klan? Are they white supremacists? And up until that point, we were kind of DMing back and forth and we we're all excited. Yeah. And he took a, a pause and he came back and he said, hey, man, I just want to let you know that you live in L.A. and we live here and it's a totally different world. Meaning, don't judge us on what this is. 
and he's just like, I would love to invite you to come down. I would love to meet you. I'd love to introduce you to everyone. And but he's very much saying, yeah, of course, they're clan. Like we're all racist rednecks down here, but Don't we come from completely different, different environments worlds. and co- contexts, upbringings, and histories. And to that point, I can't argue against that. Of course. I grew up in Southern California. I'm an immigrant. Uh, I'm a child of immigrants, right? immigrant family. I, I, I now spend my entire life in Los Angeles, which is not nearly the majority of what this country is and, and, and mm-hmm. the way that we think. And it was a reminder to me that absolutely, how can I, right? If he had said something racist online and I found him and I was like, hey, man, fuck you. Yeah. Like, fuck Trump. And he's just like, fuck you, this... Like, that's not going to get us anywhere because we are coming from two completely different planets. He's speaking Klingon because yeah. he's been fighting Klingons his yeah. entire life. And I'm Captain Kirk, right? So how are we supposed to, in, a, in, a, in an exchange of five <sighs> seconds on Twitter, supposed to figure that out? We can't. Like, social media is the worst venue for that type of conversation, right? And so Even our only- conversations are sound bites. Totally. Even the conversations are there is no context. There's no way of establishing a real human connection. Right. So you have those 140 characters to say right to pack in. And I spent a couple of weeks actually talking to that kid. I haven't talked to him since then, but I talked to him for like off and on for days and just getting a little bit more insight into his world and my world. And I didn't come out going like, yeah, black people suck. Like I didn't come out thinking that, but I came out going like, okay, now I know how to address this guy from a place where I see the world from where it looks like in his lens. Right. And then I can help change his mind because in the grand scheme of things, I don't think that's the best way to live and mm-hmm. the best way to treat other people. But he's also seen his world completely different from mine. And yeah. so empathy, Also right? when empathy. like that's your, your whole, re- his whole reality is different mm-hmm. than yours. His and whole you reality. can't shit on someone just for yeah. that. It's as exact. I exactly. Even like, if you totally fucking disagree in their I completely disagreed with his opinions on Mm -hmm. certain matters. But then there are core things that all Americans agree upon, right? Which is really how Trump won in the Mm -hmm. end. Because he spoke to, number one, I'm going to make sure that you keep your job. The Mm -hmm. only thing that matters for every Mm -hmm. voting Mm -hmm. American Mm -hmm. is, Mm -hmm. will I be able to keep my job? Will I be able to take care of my family, Mm -hmm. right? Trump actually spoke to that. Mm -hmm. Hillary didn't really necessarily speak to Mm -hmm. that, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. She kind of blew it on that issue. And on those matters, this kid and I, we actually, he was just like, hey, look, I want a problem with this girl. Oh, my family, this and that. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, yeah, my family. We're talking about our families, like the things that matter the most to us. Mm. We're not talking about, like, how do you feel about Kaepernick right now? We'll get to that eventually. Right. But how are we supposed to? That's like level 10. Yeah, yeah, Like, yeah. can you first know my name? Can you Can you show me that you actually care about me and my community before we get to the point of, judging me based on what I think of a football player not kneeling. Right. Right. Like we're just doing it backwards and we're just not giving each other enough time. And so in that sense, you can't really necessarily blame in my opinion, what has happened because social media has parsed up our language. It's weird because we think of social media and the internet as this thing that has united, not united, but connected connected. us all. But it might also be, at the same time be doing the exact opposite yeah it connected us but i think to plug my book again i talk about this that the reason why i think building brands can be important Mm -hmm. is that we are actually providing an arena for people to connect 
in this really deeper, more profound way. Mm -hmm. And that's why I love brands and I love brand building and I love streetwear is because we actually have like a culture, mm -hmm. but the internet has, we are misfiring. Mm -hmm. We are misaligned in our conversations, right? Like everyone is just talking and no one's actually listening. No mm -hmm. one's receiving each other. So we are all getting into a place where we're all feeling unheard, mm -hmm. right? Like you can sit on Instagram or Twitter all day and say all this stuff. And you're not going to come out feeling better. Mm -hmm. It's not like you, when you go to the therapist, like I go to therapy, go to the therapist, you sit down and talk for an hour and kind of like, wow, I really felt received, heard, connected. Like I feel good. Right. If you do that on Twitter, even if you're not spewing hate, but you're just like, Hey, I like this movie and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. No one's really, they might throw a heart on or whatever, but they're not receiving you. Yeah. And that's a very frustrating that's feeling. A really interesting point. I mean, even like, look at like when you post something on Instagram, like, the negative comments are the ones that I'm like holding yeah. myself back from replying to. Yeah. It's not like someone will be like, you're beautiful. And I'll be like, next, yeah. like, <laughs> you know, know. And someone's like, you look like an alien. And I'll be like, actually, you know, but yeah, it's, it's true. <laughs> no, I get, I get that a lot. Um, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's, the the deepest so what's the future that's a deeper root i think we're i don't know i feel like i'm at a point in my life now where i've understood and i can see pretty clearly that social media is not connecting us it's actually making us more misaligned mm -hmm. and so i've decided to combat that by not going in my comments or not going on instagram so much and posing like a tr trump picture with his face crossed out like that's just misaligning communication, mm -hmm. right? It's not like it's it's almost unfair because I go out there and I throw that out, and then the comments come a different way, and we don't actually. So meet what do you do anywhere. instead of that? I just go in the DMs. I go in the DMs and I and make personal people connections. One -on -one personal connections. I actually get on the phone sometimes with people if they mm -hmm. want to go on the phone, and I don't have all the time to give, so I can't do it with everyone. Mm -hmm. But even if it's five minutes for me to be like, "How are you doing? How's it feel?" Like I just did this last week for I think an hour or so a few comments that came in where they were really angry your brand sucks you know the hundreds is dead blah 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 and they would go off on these rants and i i just i'll respond i'll be like thank you how are you feeling now that's mm -hmm. usually what i I'll, that's the only line i'll give and at first it sets them off they're like what do you mean how i'm feeling blah mm -hmm. blah and i'm like i i mean listening to everything you're saying i'm not disagreeing how do you feel now how do you feel how do you feel how do you feel and we'll get to a really beautiful place where it goes from paragraphs down to lines. And we are now starting to have an exchange of, yeah, I'm just bummed out because this happened. Or, you know, you guys didn't send me my order on time. And I'm like, oh, I'm really sorry about that. And because I come from a place of not humility, but so much of a place of like, I'm really here to listen. Mm -hmm. I'm not here to be combative. Mm -hmm. I really want to hear what you have mm -hmm. to say it smooths things over in a way where we actually end up being friends. And mm -hmm. that's how my book begins is with that, mm -hmm, with a kid mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yelling at me. And by the end of it, we've actually become friends. We're still friends to this so day. So you're doing pretty much the exact thing you set out to do when you went to law school is totally. you're breaking shit up from the inside. From the inside. Right. Instead of, cause I realized that the way that I was doing it then mm -hmm. was for me unsuccessful. Mm -hmm. Right. I think protests are important. I think, complaining can be important you right know, but right i think right, like right, this way is a way to actually repair and restore relationships mm -hmm. and bring people to a place of trust mm -hmm. especially with young men mm -hmm. right like it's most of the time men i don't do this with women like women seem to be they've got it better they've got, they know how to dialogue better but mm -hmm. men we can get to a restorative place where they can actually trust me with what i'm saying and 
Um, and that's largely been the response to the book. It's mainly men mm-hmm. who are reaching out saying, I'm crying. I don't remember the last time I cried. Mm-hmm. Right. Number two, like I've never, don't remember. I don't even own a book. It's the first mm-hmm. book I've ever had. And I saw you say that that's your favorite comment that you get is like, this is the first book I've read in a while or, yeah. or something like that. I love that. Yeah. Because to me, it's exciting to know that if they like this book, I'm like, trust me, there are much better books out there. My book's okay. You know, no, it's your really book's so good. Thank, thank you. But there's much better books, right? So now I'm just like, oh, you like this book? You got to read this book. Yeah. You know, like you're, oh, you're the like, serial of podcasts yes, ex- for a lot of exactly. people or of books. I mean, so one day they're going to completely forget. They're like, what was that? Bu- <laughs> what was that guy called? He used to pierce what? his nipples. Was it an ad for the hundreds? <laughs> he, he had a maze out in front of his garden or something. Um, What did he do? But uh, that's that's kind of that's why I get really excited when mm-hmm. people say that, because I'm like, oh, we have a lot of work to do. There's a lot of books. There's a lot for you to learn. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I'm just excited that people can see like it's not just about phone entertainment or Netflix. Mm-hmm. And there's other there's like literature and mm-hmm. and and some really rich and amazing stuff out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh well. On that note, we're coming to an end. And I actually end every podcast with oh. the same. I know that was we're pretty deep. Yeah, I know. Okay. Um, I I, I end the same. The, I end the podcast with the same ten questions. They're the ones from Inside Actor Studio. Oh. Have you ever been asked these? I've never been asked them. Okay. Well, here we go. Um, Just say the first thing that's on your mind. No explanation necessary. It's really nice to spend time with you because I never get to see you. I know. Yeah. Well, I look And you look great. You look really great. And youthful and you're... Well, we got that Asian. The Asian The Asian genes. But also, like, you're a mom, you know? Yeah. And, like, you're... Well, you're a dad. You look like a teenager. But you know what? I want to be the kind of mom that you are the kind of dad. What, like, how, what kind of dad am I? Like, I'm, not the, I'm not a well, great dad. Well, I guess dad. I, I don't know what kind of dad you are. I'm not the I, best dad. I guess I don't know. I can be a much better dad. I'm not the no, best dad. No, but you, it doesn't, you don't let the dad, ugh, uh, it's one of those things I want to say it in the right way. Okay. But Where that's my identity? Identify you. It's yeah. not my identity. It's not your identity. Dad. And I think for some people, it is their identity and they're great and we need those. Thank God we have those people right, to be right, great right. dads. Um, my children and my wife are very much aware how important my work is to me, mm-hmm. right? Like they understand the balance in the relationship that I have mm-hmm, with my career mm-hmm. and the things that I want to do. And I tell them all the time, I'm like, I know it's horribly selfish of me, but I really want to go surf right now for three hours and I'm going to do that because it'll make me a better dad. I can't imagine you not being a good dad. Just like from like everything you've said and I think I'm a fun dad and I think I'm fair. I think, but we're going to ruin them somehow. And it sounds like, but you sound like you'd be a really good dad for boys. Like you're what boys need. I want, I want, I want girls too. I wish I had girls. I have a boy. There's no girls anywhere in our family. (laughs) Boys are awesome, but they just don't need that. You have an, you, the boy, the son, mother thing is awesome. Like my boys love their mom. The boys just want nothing to do with me. Really? Yeah. I feel like. Yeah. But once they're older. Well, I feel I like at some point when they're in their twenties yeah. or thirties, they're gonna be like, also, "Hey, dad, I have some questions." They, they're so it's so they're so lucky to have like such a woke dad, as much as yeah. I hate that word. You know what I mean? Like, I, tr- I, we're very open about that stuff in the home, yeah. right? Like, if Trump says, like the other day, my uh, he's now ten, my ten year old came home uh, when school was still in session, and he said, um, 
oh yeah uh one of the kids at school his dad is a trump supporter he's saying this and trump's and i told him like trump is bad right and i was just like oh he is and he's just like yeah and i was just like why he's just like well you know he's like a bad guy and i'm like that's totally okay for you to say to me but when you go out in the world you have to defend that position right so understand why you believe that that's all it is i'm all for people believing whatever they want to believe but be informed be ready to defend it Mm -hmm. and be also open to have your mind changed, right. which is how critical thinking, critical thinking, which is how I try to approach everything. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty informed on my standpoints on things, but I'm also very much open to change. In fact, I want people to change my mind, right? Like, cause I want to grow. I want to be smarter. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be the same person. I want in 10 years, I want to look back on this podcast and be like, geez, like Bobby sounded really young, <laughs> you know, like what did he, he thought you knew everything. I want to get to. I want every year to me to look back and be like, "Wow, I've grown so much, and I I really ch- I've like changed that my outlook. mind." Yeah. So we we do that a lot in the home. Yeah. Of this is what people say, and but what do you think? Right. And my parents were like that too with us growing up. Like we grew up in the church, but they were also at a certain point in time in our life. They said, "You don't have to go to church anymore. What do you think? Mm-hmm. What do you want to mm-hmm. do?" Right. Like we but gave you the tools. Like you also being it out. allowed to change your mind. That's been a huge one for me lately. I think is just like I think. We don't always like allow ourselves to change our mind right. about things. It's it's almost like you well you said this before, yeah. so that must be what you think. Right. But it's true. Like sometimes, a a lot of times, you should change your mind, and you it's, should. it's a good thing. Yeah. And I think we're worried of being held to certain opinions because mm-hmm. that really has to do with ego. Because it mm-hmm. makes people be able to judge you and you feel mm-hmm. ashamed. But if you can remove the ego from that and be like, yeah, I totally messed up, and you confess up to, mm-hmm. God, I had that wrong. You know? Yeah. Um, like, who yeah. can be mad at that? Yeah. Who can? And, 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 yeah, exactly. So yeah. I think if we can all do that, and I'm not perfect at that either, but it's mm-hmm. something to aspire to, to have. Working and be. toward. Yeah. Okay. So the first of the 10 questions. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Is this that wasn't what's it? the longest podcast that you've done? I actually did one that was three hours. Who was that? With? But I mean, it, um, it was with Humble the Poet. Oh. Do you know him? Yeah. But, um, you remember like ZVD essay. We used to podcast for literally nine to oh, eleven yeah, hours yeah. a day. But you're really good at it, so maybe no, that's why. Thanks, thanks yeah. for saying that. I just really like talking to people. But you're not just that. talking. You're really good. There's really an art form to this, which I know because I've had to interview a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It's also knowing when to bite your tongue, letting mm-hmm. them if they're in. Well, that's something I'm learning along the way. Yeah, like even. Like when I listened to earlier episodes, like even before the Pornhub podcast, because I've this is like my millionth podcast, but like I'm I'm just like wow, I cut people off a lot. Yeah, you know, and they'll be like with questions and stuff, but still, I'm like, oh, I need to learn to shut the fuck up. That's so good that you have a podcast to to. That's actually awesome. I feel like everyone should have a podcast just so that they can be aware. Well, ugh, also, I mean. You know how, like, you'll look back at a diary or journal if you do that kind of thing and you're like, ugh, it's so cringeworthy? Yeah. I'm really scared for the day that comes, and probably you too, that, like, you read your book and you're like, ugh. But... (laughs) It's it's unfair to do that to yourself. It is unfair. And I will say, for me, it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. I disagree with a lot of things I said. Yeah. And I feel t- like a totally different person. But I- I'm not, like, cringing. I'm not, like... I don't think... If if it's what you really wanted at that time, right? I'm just glad I didn't write a book when I was, like, 18. 
But I think, yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> Unless it was like The Outsiders. You know that book, The Outsiders? Was that S- written by Essie a- Hinton? Is, first of all, she was a girl. She was what? Essie Hinton wrote that when she was sixteen in high school. Yeah, in You're Oklahoma. Blowing- in Oklahoma, yeah. Every everything, every <laughs> single thing you said in the last read that seconds, book again, and you're still going like, no way, this is a six year old man who wrote this. It's a sixteen year old girl. She wrote that in high school, and she wrote it about the scene in her high school at the time between the Soches and the Greasers, and she wrote after that. Obviously, she was only sixteen. She had a full. I think she's still alive. I I, I don't want to misspeak and say she's not alive, but she's had a rich rich career of of literature out there but nothing has held a torch did she to, pick that held a candle to that did book. she go by se so that people would think she was yeah because people would take yeah, her seriously back then yeah yeah because her name's probably like Susie or something you know <laughs> yeah. the Susie, Susie emily Sue hinton ellen. yeah yeah sue ellen hinton <laughs> you're like oh what does she know you know yeah. no it, that's definitely a very real thing i, I always i think about her a lot whenever i feel accomplished i'm like oh i wrote a book it's a best-selling book and then i'm like yeah, uh, but you're I'm way past 16. I'm 40 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, and I'm a guy. And but like, can I you can imagine say, the pressure of life after have written The Outsiders at I 16? Know. Like, I, I wouldn't want I wouldn't that. Want that. No, no I way. Want that. That's no. some Al Bundy shit right That's, there. Yeah, yeah, you peaked in high school. Yeah. <laughs> no, thanks. Okay, so the questions. Are we Finally. at number two yet? <laughs> <laughs> Question number one. Uh, and we're starting the oh, podcast now. Oh, I thought now. that was the first question. <laughs> no. Oh, we didn't even get there. Oh question number one. Okay. What is your favorite word? Uh, my favorite word. I like overcome. Um, uh, I, I like the connotations like overcoming, obviously, something, but also to be overcome. Oh, okay. Yeah. What is your least favorite word? Uh, least favorite word. Oh, my gosh. I don't know. Am I supposed to say moist? Isn't that everyone's? A least few favorite? people have said moist. Right, that's everyone's least favorite word. I don't. I don't really. Do you hate, hate the word moist words. though? No. Or I feel that, like I'm saying me, that because I'm supposed thing. to say that. Yes, to me that's What's the wrong group with that thing word? answer. When I think I of the word cupcake, moist, same like a delicious cake. Yeah. And then what? Because then you also it's a, also isn't a moist vagina a good thing? Right. It's it's like a reference to vagina Vaginas. moisture. Yeah. Why is that bad? I, I really don't know. Okay. Uh, what turns you on? Oh, what turns me on? I, uh, just a, a, a really good conversation. I honestly. thought you were going to say shoes. No, what turns great, you off? Great conversation. Uh, what, what turns me off? Yeah, as far as like tr- shoes and fashion stuff, none of that really turns me on. I own the same. I wear the same thing every day. I have like two pairs of shoes. Um, and what turns me off? What turns me off? Know-it-alls? I'm a know-it-all, so I can say that. <laughs> so other know-it-alls. <laughs> I turn myself off. There's only room for one know-it-all in in every room. Yeah. Uh, what is your favorite curse word? Oh, I think uh, I don't know. Fuck is a pretty. It's a good pretty, one. Pretty good one, and even yeah, even speaking of our children, when I, they don't cuss or anything, but sometimes when we cuss, I look at them and say, "You're allowed to cuss." Just know when to use it. Mm. Right? Like, mm-hmm. it's not a bad thing, mm-hmm. but it's like a special weapon. It's a yeah. secret tool. Just don't use it all the time. No also, like, read that. the room. Yeah, read like. the room. <laughs> use it for dramatic effect or for right. a certain point you want to get across. <laughs> Be but artistic about it. Words are there for a reason. What sound or noise do you love? Oh, 
what sound or noise do I love? Hmm. I don't know. I love the sound of water, I guess. I, sur I surf in the mornings, and so I love the ocean. What sound or noise do you hate? Um... the screeching of a violin i grew up playing vi the violin and if you make an error it's the worst sound in the world that's like the most asian answer i've ever it's heard so asian <laughs> we got through most of the conversation yeah, without getting so, so asian. asian but and then damn bobby <laughs> bobby played the violin when he was a kid and had a bowl cut. what's the worst noise in the world a screeching violin <laughs> when you make an error what's on the violin let me tell you these are crazy questions i've never thought about these what were some of the other answers that you got to that question what sound or noise do you hate yeah Trying like to remember. Oh, and a lot of yeah, like a lot of yeah, or people eating, or um, caught a lot of people say cotton balls. Um, I'm not one of or, these you know, people nails on a where sounds bother me. Even nails on a chalkboard don't. You're like really... the opposite of autistic. Yeah, <laughs> I am. You're like all sounds welcome. <laughs> yeah, I'll take them all at once. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I I don't know. I'm trying to think of sound or noise that I hate. Yeah. Um, actually, I re I don't like um, styrofoam. Okay. Yeah. That's not fair. into it. Yeah. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Oh, I feel like I'm doing it. I wanted to be an author. Now I'm an author. I wanted to be considered as a writer. Mm -hmm. And now I've gotten to that place in my life. And so now I think some people are going to know me as writer and author, even maybe more than being a designer or a business owner yeah so that's, that's exciting all, that's all i really wanted will do. you write more i will I, that's all i want to do like you know you know yeah. the feeling yeah i just i have i want to write i want to i'm working on screenplays yeah i have books lined up i just love to write i love the process of writing yeah it's the best it's the best and the worst for me is it torturous it's not torturous i love writing like yeah. to me like if i've written something that i'm happy with my whole day is like i'm totally. high totally but of course, there are many days where I'm like, I just hate everything I wrote. I couldn't get it together. Yeah. And I'm so depressed for the next yeah, two days. I love that. <laughs> I mean, I hate it, but I love it. I feel like I'm feeling everything. Yeah. 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 But that can also be bad, no? Sometimes, uh I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't make me the best person to be around. And right. I get into really dark places where I'm defeatist right. and I f have very low self-esteem. Mm -hmm. But I know at some point it's going to come out. I'm just, uh, it's just for me, it's all timing. I'm like, if it's going to come out in a week or it's going to come out in a year, it's going to mm -hmm. come out. So I'll be patient. Yeah. No, for sure. Everything is good. No, you're right about that. Like everything becomes useful eventually. Everything becomes for useful. Sure. Even when I'm like, this is shit there does it does eventually become oh yeah yeah you, i'm sure you have folders of this stuff totally oh like my God. half formed sentences Completely. and paragraphs and you're like that's a beautiful paragraph <laughs> it doesn't belong anywhere in anything that i'm writing right now he's like orphaned yeah paragraphs everywhere yeah no but, nothing feels better than copying and pasting something per that fits yeah. perfectly yeah yeah because you're, like, you're like oh i didn't even have to do that work it's i like already tetris. did it years ago yeah <laughs> it's like tetris <laughs> <laughs> um Okay, uh, what profession other than your own would you not like to do? What would I not like to do? I would not want to be a politician. Yeah. I, I think um, for whatever reason, there's chatter just amongst our friends in our circle of Bobby's going to run for office. 
you know, like you wrote a book and he's speaking a lot more and he's always engaged politically. Well, I could see that. I would never want to do it. Why? I don't know. Maybe I'll I'll change my mind. And that's the whole point of life yeah. that one day I'll change my mind. But right now, you know, I'm going to be like running for president. I'm like, oh, I can't believe I said that on the Pornhub <laughs> on the porn podcast. podcast. Can't believe I need a Pornhub podcast. I'm you like know what? blocking your number. I'm like, oh, stop <laughs> calling me here. In that sense, I think Trump may have paved the way. Yeah, I think you he might did. be okay on that one. Yeah, it's true. I had I interviewed Jesse the other day for my podcast. Mm-hmm. And Jesse Andrews. Jesse Andrews. And I was just telling her, I was like, one of the, I love, and I always say this, I love you girls. I love the girls in porn because automatically you're coming from a place of less judgment mm-hmm. and people can feel more real and honest with you because they know that you're not going to have like a certain, there's no stigma attached or they're not going to perceive you a certain way. Yeah. And so it automatically sets off the relationship on, on a very humble, like ground level place. I feel, I I always say the same thing about when I meet, if someone comes up to me and they're a fan, I'm automatically like, okay, cool. Like I can let my guard down because you're a perv. Yeah. You just admitted you like porn. Yeah. So we're already on the same page here. Like, right. Society thinks we're scum. Yeah. Yeah. So we're in, right. So cool. Like now let's just be ourselves. That's the opposite of what streetwear is. Streetwear is so much pretense and being so guarded and it's impossible to break down that wall of actually getting to know any of these guys. Right. So I, I really like what you have. I wish the exchange was it's more like It's weird how opposite, have. polar opposite, like exact opposite, yeah. I think our industries are from each other. But at yeah. the same time, I think we are similar in the sense that we've both seeked notoriety yeah. over sought notoriety sought seeked seeked seeker seeked. seeked i wrote a book i swear so <laughs> we both sought <laughs> <laughs> we both sought notoriety over i guess the mainstream yeah is that i don't know it's weird because I, I do see a lot of parallels and i think we are ultimately like often the same kind of person the we person are. in streetwear and the person in porn. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's right? so much crossover. Yeah. Uh, from the outside, everyone says that. They're like, what's up with the porn girls and streetwear? Totally. Right? Totally. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. It's the same thing with streetwear and uh, the food world. We have this weird mm-hmm, thing, too. Mm-hmm. And, right? comedy. Like, and, and comedy. comedy. And comedy. And comedy. Those are the four. What is this? The four horsemen <laughs> of, of the shit of the earth. <laughs> it's I so guess. true. That's my entire Rolodex. That's my whole. The kids are like, what's a Rolodex? That's my whole. <laughs> Rolodex, uh, unsubscribe. <laughs> I'm watching porn up. What's a Rolodex? Final question. Oh, we're already there. <laughs> yes, that was, we are. That was pretty painless. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Oh, um, hmm. I feel like I'm gonna do a serious one here, and I know it should be probably pretty funny, but no. I feel like if I had um, made the world a little bit easier to live in for the people I love around me, I don't know. Maybe that was my purpose. That's a really good answer. Yeah. Yeah. I try to. It's really. I try to. I don't do that all the time, but I try to do that. 
I try to do that. I feel like we're here to help each other. I think you also do that like with I, it sounds to me like that's what your purpose was with the hundreds. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think it's it's interesting, like coming from an Asian background, it's very Confucian and community based and it's all about don't disrupt the flow and everything has to be circular and everyone works together. It's not about yourself and your individual identity. And then growing up in the West and growing up in the States mm-hmm. and it's all about you and mm-hmm. do you and, and, and independence and this hyper selfishness. And, um, and I think both there's a balance there and I think both are equally important. We need the selfish independent people to go out there and make things and to create change and push the envelope. And then we also need, community minded people to keep us together and mm-hmm. to keep us working together and um it takes everyone it takes everyone yeah. but i i really think we need i right now most of the literature and the rhetoric is more towards do you and fuck everybody else mm-hmm. and i think that's dangerous and I've subscribed and followed that philosophy for so much of my life. And now I'm getting to a point now where I'm I'm like, no, 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 that's wrong. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily wrong. Like we need that, but there also needs to be, we also need to think of what it's doing for other people and how are we helping other people? So the way I'll end this is that I've spent my career preaching brand building and figuring out how to build a brand. And I woke up one day this year and said, what happens when you've built the brand, which I have, it's mm-hmm. been 15, 16 years. I have a brand called the hundreds. I like that. I'm doing the intro at the end. I have a brand called the hundreds. <laughs> By the way, this interview yeah. was with Hi. Bobby Kim, yeah. AKA Bobby hundreds. <laughs> you may have heard of the hundreds. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, I have a brand. So now what do you do with it? And I want to use it to help other people to provide a platform to showcase other people. And also to to bring people together, which is what my book is about. It's called This Is Not a T-Shirt. It's available now. Available now everywhere you can buy books. Bye. Thanks, Asa.